Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord. I greet you in the name of Jesus, which is still the only name under heaven, Amen. given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm in love with this name of Jesus. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. It is an honor and a treat to be in the Jennings Metroplex and to enjoy the presence of the Lord with so many apostolic men. And I tell you what, Holy Ghost has been in this place the last several services. Thank you, Brother Blankenship, for minding the Holy Ghost. I listen to folks just like we've got through hearing Brother Boyd, Brother, Brother Blankenship. I, I don't know. It, it kind of discourages how I feel about my calling. I just, I, <laughs> I may just be talking today. I'm not sure. Uh, but it is, uh, I thrilled at the, the preaching of Brother Bank, Blankenship last night. So the statement was made, I think, by the pastor concerning Brother T.C. Alexander. He said, you hoped you had that much fire or something when you was, what, 98 or something like that, 88. I was emceeing a conference in Indianapolis some years ago at uh, Brother McKinley's, McKinley's church, and church anniversary, rather. And a brother that was up in his 80s, his name was Brother Wallace Owings. And uh, he got up and he just cranked it out. Lord, he, he he can preach. And I was emceeing the meeting and I got up and I said, Lord, I hope I got that much biz when I'm his age. One of my friends behind me hollered out, you ain't got that much now. <laughs> so I'm in a heap of trouble. I, what's sad was that was about 10 years ago. <laughs> I love these good men that have preached today. I shall never forget these two sermons. You'll never know what that meant to me. I, I treasure getting to be in service and hearing preaching. You know, I don't have a plight to give you. God's been more than wonderful to me. But I get tired of listening to myself preach. And it's wonderful to hear somebody else break the word of God to you. If you've ever evangelized, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, I've got some bad news and I've got some good news. The bad news is life is not always fair. And the good news is I've saved a bundle of money on Geico Auto Insurance. Well, I think we've taken a sufficient break between the last two services. Now, let me just say something as a man who has pastored for 30 years. I've evangelized for about 13. Your pastor should always be your favorite preacher.
And if you, it's okay to compliment the ministry that your pastor brings by. Actually, it's a compliment to his good taste and judgment if you like the preachers that he brings around. But don't ever give the visiting or the guest minister a compliment that you haven't given your pastor a better compliment. Because he's the man that answers to God for you. And don't, you know, it's easy to listen to preachers and ask advice here and there. And some stupid preacher may give you some advice when you ask him. But that's like wearing two watches. Then you won't know what time it is. I, I, let, maybe I didn't explain that to you, but if somebody, if you're not happy with what your pastor's position is on a certain issue, don't go asking around, find out what somebody else believes, because you want to argue with him. You're getting ready to get an unteachable spirit if you're not careful. Now, I, 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 try, I try to be careful. I have a pocket watch. I've been known to wear a wrist watch. Uh, I got one of them $11 Walmart ones. It's pretty conservative. And I'm, I'm just trying to be me. I just, I'm, I'm saying that just to make a statement. I had a guy move to my church, came from a church in, in Victorville, California years ago that didn't believe in wearing watches at all. And if there's anything my father taught me, and that is honor somebody else's holiness standards, they might be right. But the man came and he sat on our church pew for about two weeks. I know you're standing, but you may not get to stand again for a couple hours, so just enjoy the, the, the moment. And he's, I said, Brother, we're just so thrilled to have you here. The saxophone you're playing is just, oh, it's just awesome, man. We love you and your family. You're just precious couple. I said, I notice. I'm teaching Bible class. I said, I notice you don't wear a watch. He said, that's right. I said, now, you notice that we have them here. We try to wear them just so we won't be late for church and work and whatever. I said, but, brother, please don't buy a watch and offend your conscience and hurt what you feel in here just because this is a church where they have watches. I I wouldn't want to. You'd have to deal with a, a grieved spirit like that. On the other hand, if you're sitting here without one and we're wearing them and you feel like you're spiritually superior to the pastor I'm ordering you to go buy two watches and wear one on each arm till you get over that when you begin to feel like you're superior to the pastor and holiness standards you've just moved to a dimension he can no longer help you one of the fruits and evidences of the Holy Ghost is that you have a teachable spirit if he's not right, you put him in God's hand. You talk to God about him. God will take care of him. But you don't be running your mouth off to anybody else. All right. I'm going to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verse number 13. Let me just throw this out. There's no extra charge for this. When I became the pastor in South Bend... We had about 125 people. 26 of them left because they said I couldn't feed them. And uh, they probably were right. You can't feed folks that don't want to eat. They don't like to cook. I wish you'd leave that alone. Make up your mind. Do you want it up or down? 
I had a man in my church who worked for the Skyline Corporation. He was a superintendent of one of the largest trailer and mobile home factories in Elkhart, Indiana. Made big bucks. He left because he said, I wasn't Southern enough. Well, actually, at this point in my life, I'm bilingual. I can say y'all and I can say you guys. But I, could, I wasn't saying y'all enough to make him happy. And his son was my bass player, and the son's wife was my organ player. And the son came up to me and said, Pastor, I love my daddy. Don't ever misunderstand that. But I've been taught all my life, stand by the pulpit. He said, I just want you to know that my wife and I aren't going to leave you. We're going to, we're going to stay here. I wanted to cry when I saw the loyalty that was in this young man. And I put my arm around his shoulder and I said, Son, God's going to bless you. He was making $28,000 a week. Uh, or rather a week, yeah. <laughs> I'll get you some applications soon as service is over. $28,000 a year as head receiver in a warehouse there at the plant at Skyline Corporation. Now, it, it's a multi billion dollar enterprise it's now that's no small potatoes and he he didn't even work in the same plant that his father worked in his daddy was number 19 in the corporation ladder structure he, he told me he said brother Ballestero he said Friday this was on a Sunday he said a helicopter landed on the pad outside my plant and the number one guy got out of the helicopter and he came in with a clipboard and he was asking for me. And he came up to me and he said, Greg, I want you to go home this lunch hour, change into a suit and report into my office at one o'clock. He said, Brother Ballester, I was scared to death. And when I walked in, I found out they made me number three man in the corporation, way up in the six figures every year. Now, don't tell me it doesn't pay to stand by the man of God. God knows how to bless you and honor you for standing by your pastor. Praise God. Matthew chapter 24. That's all the announcements. I'm going to read verse number 13 and let you sit down. But why don't you read it with me? But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. God bless you. You may be seated. I take it we're supposed to close at 12 o'clock. Why not? Do you pay by the hour or by the job? I preached for a man a year or so ago. My first time ever to be at his church out in the middle of nowhere. His son actually had been friends with my daughter and her husband in years gone by, and I didn't know that. The boy had actually been in my home with a group of about 15 young people and spent the night, and I had no memory of that because I was... Uh, gone or something. But this young man, uh, according to his dean, was quite a 
quite a young man. He said he was one of the best young preachers that he'd ever heard. He was a gifted singer and keyboard player. He also uh, was, he said, an awesome Christian. He could play baseball, football, basketball, just was, he just was the best of all worlds, it seemed like. I do know this much, he was his father's pride and joy. This preacher happened to have two daughters that he loved dearly, but this was his only son. And this son now was in his middle 20s and was the assistant pastor at the church with his father. He has uh, had sugar diabetes, and the information I got was still unclear. We don't know if he had an attack or had a problem. All we know is, is that in swimming one afternoon with two or three guys in the church in one of the ponds behind uh, one of the saints' house, he drowned. Now, this country church has a graveyard right beside the church. And it so happened that the pastor's home was across the street in this Tenancy community. And when he would walk out the front door, the first thing he saw every day was his son's tombstone. Well, by the time I got to this place where I'm talking about today, the boy had been dead four years. And I had no mental picture of what the boy looked like. I I, I just was struggling for some kind of identity as to who the boy was. But this much I do know is that the father was still crying. And every day he would cry. He told me that every day he went to the grave and sat there sometimes an hour, two hours every day weeping over the loss of his son. I've never lost a child. And uh, I know, I can only imagine it would be a parent's worst nightmare. I saw how my mom and dad went through the loss of my sister at the age of 17. What I do know is that I sat there every day with a handkerchief at lunchtime or every time I was with him and He had his out and he would cry, so I just started carrying mine. The Bible says, rejoice with them that rejoice. And it says, weep with them that weep. And so we were crying together. I came back a year later for a marriage seminar. And uh, about that time, we went out to eat. The pastor's wife showed me a little plaque that they had given them, uh, commemorating or remembering, I should say, five years since their son had died. And uh, on the way to the restaurant, the pastor's wife said to me, she said, Brother Ballestero, she said, I read somewhere in a magazine or a newspaper about a group of sports writers. I don't know if it was just the United States or Canada as well, but they got together to commemorate and to honor a hockey player. Not because he was good, not because he'd played a long time, Not because he uh, was a crowd favorite, but they honored him for one reason only. And that is because with broken bones and bloodied bodies and teeth knocked out and eye injuries and head injuries, he wouldn't sit on the bench. He kept on playing. And they honored him for being willing to play hurt. 
And that's what I want to preach to you about today. I have done the math and I've looked at this crowd. I see about six people that have heard me preach this in another state. I actually wrestled with the Holy Ghost about whether or not to preach this and work two days on something else, but the Lord won't let it go. So I don't know who I'm talking to today, I, I, but I feel a heaviness in my spirit and I just want to talk from my heart. Can I do that? I wish that I could wave a magic wand and make your world perfect. And I wish that I could put everything back together again. But you know that even the world understands that nobody's promised us a rose garden. We don't have the promise of a perfect life. You're going to have problems whether you live for God or not, as Brother Boyd said. (laughs) But if you don't live for God, you don't have anybody to help you with your problems. I'm glad I've got somebody to help me with my problems. Job made the statement in his book, chapter 13, verse number 15. He said, here's a man that had lost his children, lost his cattle, his lost buildings. He lost all kinds of livestock. And he made this statement. He lost everything except a nagging wife. And I'm not going to go there. This is a men's only place, but I still don't feel safe. I ain't afraid of nothing, but I'm afraid of that. Of course, God let her go through double the childbirth, and so that kind of was kind of even everything up. That's what I'm talking about. But he makes this statement when his pain is so severe that he has to take a broken piece of pottery and scratch the boils. He said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain my ways before him. What are you saying, Job? I'm saying my mind's made up. I might be hurt, but I'm not out of the race. I might be hurting, but I'm not going to quit living for God. Make it up in your mind that whatever happens, backsliding is not an option. Oh, put your hands together. David who was so wonderfully preached about just a few moments ago, made this observation. He said, The lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places. In other words, when the surveyors came out, what they told me was my inheritance was some pretty lush-looking property. Grass was green, palm trees swaying, creek flowing through the place. Man, it looks like Easy Street where I live. I don't know if any of y'all have ever seen pictures of Israel, but that is not a perfect picture of all of Israel. There's a lot of rocks and mountains and some rough places to go when you get to Israel. And if you look at the countryside that was attributed to Asher, when Moses handed out the property, you're going to find out it's some of the roughest territory in all of Israel. And this is what Deuteronomy 33, verse 24 has to say. He's using the word let. Let Asher be blessed with children. 
I just, I just tell you right now, folks, it's God's will that you be, your church be fruitful. It's God's will that there be a harvest in your church. It's God's will that there be growth in your church. I worry about churches that never seem to want to grow. Let me just throw this out. It has nothing to do with this message. I don't suppose, or at least it's not in my notes, let's put it that way. But you remember how when David was dancing before the ark, and his wife, named Michael, was standing there with an attitude, neck moving back and forth a little bit. I, first of all, i got a problem with any woman named Mike. But she criticized his worship. And God cursed her and shut up her womb. Now listen, you don't have to praise God like I do. But everybody ought ought to be involved in worship of some kind. Do praising Him somehow. You just don't sit in God's house like this all your life. Amen. Let her be blessed with children. You want to curse your church? God shut up the womb of your church? You start having a problem with worship. You watch worship services. People get the Holy Ghost in worship services. You have revival in worship services. Let Asher be blessed with children. That is, speaks to me of unity. And you will never have revival without unity. And you never will have unity till you start forgiving one another. When you start forgiving one another and letting go of some of your yesterdays, then you're acceptable with your brother and you're in one mind, one accord. Then that's when the harvest starts falling. Go ahead. Read on. God wants your walk to be anointed. Dip his foot in oil. Now he quits using the word let and he moves to another dimension. And now here comes another word. Read it. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass. And as thy days, so shall thy strength be. And everyone said amen. Thank you, Pastor. Now, God knew what the way would be. He knew that the rocks would be so pointed and so sharp that you couldn't walk barefooted just everywhere in your property. He knew that if you wore thin-soled sandals that you would injure your feet. So God said, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Your shoes shall be iron and brass. In other words, you're not going to feel what everybody else would feel. You're going to, I'm going to protect you from what you're going through. I'm not going to change the environment. I'm not going to change the landscape. I'm just going to protect you as you can make it through it. Somebody may say, how did you survive? And you'll say, I don't know. But God said, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. Somebody praise him. Did you ever go to a shoe store? You walk in and say, do you have this in 11D? In a brown or a burgundy or a black. 
You tell them what size, what style, what color. Somebody needs to get a revelation of the fact that God's got a shoe store. You walking down the street minding your own business. Not business. Business. And the Lord's leaning up against the front door. And I said, hey, Ballester, your shoes, man, boy. My shoes? Lord, I didn't order no shoes. Oh, I know you didn't. That's why I ordered them for you. And you come in and sit down in his shoe store. And he puts a pair of shoes on you. He said, I, oh, those are nice. You notice when he puts some shoes on you, they always fit the first time. He said, I call these peace. Peace, Lord? Because mm-hmm. you're getting ready to walk down Turmoil Boulevard. There's going to be turmoil in your health. There may be turmoil in your finances or turmoil in the church or turmoil in your marriage. Come here, son. Stand right there. This is called understanding. His name is understanding. Face that way, understanding. You're looking the wrong way, understanding. You can only go so as far as your understanding will let you go in life. But God is able to give you peace that passeth understanding. And understanding stays there and somehow God is able to give you peace in the midst of your storm. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I don't know how you can stand at the grave of your husband and lift your hands and say, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But there's a God who's able to give you peace in the midst of a storm. Hallelujah, hallelujah. About the time you think you're doing good in these shoes called peace, he calls you back to the store and he puts another pair called grace on you. Grace, Lord? Mm-hmm. You're getting ready to walk down Rumor Alley and folk are going to talk about you. And I'm going to help you hold your head up. I'm going to help you keep a smile on your face. You know what the relationship is between you and me. Don't worry about what the heathen say. Just let them rage and say whatever they want to. You just keep a smile on your face and keep living for me. God doesn't change the surroundings, but He helps you survive it. One time you get an invitation to come into His shoe store and He's got a pair of boots. Now we're talking. Boots, Lord? Mm-hmm. I call these worship. You get ready to walk through the valley of despair. And these are the only boots that walk out the other side. When I there's a song, I don't know if y'all sang it for altar call or not, but when I was a kid I first heard it. Some woman was singing, These boots are made for walking. Walking's what they'll do, and one of these days these boots are gonna You pastors look around and find the carnal folks that just... Well, devil, God gave me some boots. My father told me, you can worship your way out of whatever heartache you're in. You can worship your way out of whatever problem you're in. There's a secret involved in worship. (laughs) Oh, he's worthy of our praise and adoration. Somebody ought to praise him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
You don't have to go very far in your Bible before you find a story about a man who was the general, basically, in the army of King Ben-Hadad. And he had a little slave girl in his home. Now, folks, the king of Israel was still on the throne. The prophet was still collecting tithes. And she's in a foreign country, a slave. She could have said, if there's a God, how, why did he let this happen to me? How could there be a God and this happened to me? Why am I here? What I want to know is where was daddy? This is Ballesterol. For all I know, daddy was dead. This is not Bible. I'm just, this is just venture, okay? Let me explain something to you. I was in, I don't want to tell you where I was at because I don't want to bring Natchez, Mississippi into this story. But I, I was in a mall. My daughter, I have four sons. I have one drop-dead gorgeous daughter, but she was about three or four years old. We're in this mall, and my wife put our little daughter. Now, she had Martha miniature dress, and she had, uh, you know, little curls and patent leather shoes and anklets with about that much lace on it, and a little patent leather purse could hold two quarters, just all gussied up. My wife was so happy to have a girl after four boys that she would just go on whole hog, you know. And my daughter is on one of these little two-horsey merry-go-rounds. You've seen them. They're not very big. Sometimes they're outside of a Walmart. or, or, But this one was inside the mall. And so my wife had put her money, quarter, whatever it was. And she is from here to the wall from the merry-go-round with her back turned to it looking in the window. The horsies are still going around. The music is still playing. Sister Arlene Cavanis is with my wife, and I'm from here at least 75 feet or so. I'm here to the front door or so away, watching some guys work on some scaffolding inside the mall. And I hear Sister Cavanis scream, Marcia! That's my wife's name. They got your baby! And I turned around to see two guys bigger than me. Each one of them had a hold of one of the arms of my daughter, took her off of the merry-go-round and was running out the door with her. Now, you say, well, Brother Ballesteros, you're a preacher. Well, you know, I didn't think about saying, God bless you, my child. It, it didn't enter my mind at that point. I, we were at a conference, but I didn't see any Pentecostal preachers that I could see. There's none there. But I saw a piece of lead pipe on the ground about that long by that scaffolding. And the devil said, pick it up. And sometimes the devil's got good ideas. I picked up that pipe. Now, I never had a hard time running. I've always been able to run. Still run a little bit, I suppose. When I, I went to 26 schools, I, I broke records in two or three schools in running. I never would dress out. I never would compete against other schools. I just, in gym class, I would wear blue jeans and a sweatshirt and still beat everybody. I knew I could catch him. It's what I'm going to do after I get there. That's what the problem is. 
I scream like a, a ninja turned loose, and I'm running. That pipe is in the air. It's ready to... Look, I don't want to bore you with details. Let, let, let me just say I got my daughter back, all right? The ambulance, the ambulance didn't have to look for nobody. I said the ambulance didn't have to look for nobody. They weren't hard to find. That's my daughter you're messing with. And you're less than a father if you're not willing to protect your own child. So where was daddy? He could have been dead as far as I know. And the little girl could have said, If there's a God, how did this happen to me? You're a fool to go down that road. There's no future there. That girl kept on being a witness. She kept on being a light. And God is looking for somebody in this house, in spite of your pain, in spite of your hurt, to keep on being a witness and keep on being a light. Oh, you know I'm telling you the truth. Here's what happened. When David decided he wanted to honor somebody, anybody that was kin to Jonathan, he told his men to go go find anybody that's got Jonathan's DNA. I want them to come here. They're going to be my best bud forever. And they found one man, Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth had a major event happen to him, very traumatic. The nurse, his nurse, was running for their lives. And in so doing, she had dropped him. Now, folks, I I, I call this woman a clumsy nurse because the women in my world, maybe I'm just a pampered pooch. I I got a good deal when it comes to women. I I got a wonderful wife, wife, hallelujah, and, and I, I I have sisters, mothers, mother-in-law, and sister-in-laws. I, I got daughter, daughter-in-laws. All of them are loving and nurturing. And if they would have a baby in their hands and fall, they're going to twist their body so that their own head hits the ground and the baby's okay. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That's the kind of women I'm raised around. Now, this woman... She really didn't give a big quack over whether or not this baby lived or didn't. They got 70 kids already. They'll make another look just like this one if there's, this one dies. And so this woman dropped the baby, and he spent the rest of his life not being able to stand up properly like everybody else. But when Mephibosheth came before the king, he didn't say, Your Majesty, you know why I'm like this. He did it to me. He didn't point his finger at who hurt him. He didn't spend his life explaining why he was like that. But rather he bowed himself down heavily. In other words, put his head on the ground. And said, I am but as a dead dog. Now I know that you can't see me, all of you, where you're sitting. But when a man's got his head on the ground saying, and humbling himself, that's as low as a Jew can go. 
And when your head's down there, you're having a hard time pointing at who hurt you. You can't even see who hurt you because you're too busy humbling yourself. And if you would humble yourself instead of quit pointing your finger at who hurt you and who said this and who did that. When you get up from there, you're going to be invited to sit at the king's table and enjoy the bounty of all of heaven all the days of your life. Yes, the king knew he was hurt, but he didn't spend his time talking about his ex-pastor or his ex-wife Or my parents did this to me. I got damaged by this. Or I got damaged by that. We're all, we've all known what it's like to cry. You can't get out of life without crying. Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith hath done me much harm. Oh God, why? You be careful what you say against the man of God. There, back in the 50's, I'm in the 7th grade, and a man had a problem with my father. It's the only church that my father does not call by name in his book. Dad had asked one of the men, he said, they were building, had a basement church, they were building the top. Dad said, Brother, could I get you to sweep up this trash right here, please? He said, What trash? Only trash we ever have around here is what stands behind the pulpit. We had church a week later, and that man stood up and defied my father in church, and God paralyzed him immediately. The man could not move his arms, his body, fell over like a piece of just a column. They picked him up like a column and carried him out and couldn't fit him in the car until he repented. Called for my father and asked my father to forgive him. My father laid hands on him and prayed for him. And he was able to sit up normally in the car. I'm saying you don't mess with God's man. Well, no, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I've still got a little bump right here. So let, let, let me... I'm just going to keep plowing this furrow until I, I feel that bump move just a little bit. Huh? Do you know when Joshua was up preaching? This is, not, this is not in my notes. When Joshua was up preaching, oh, Jesus. When Joshua was out fighting the battle, Moses is on the mountain, and he has two men with him. He has Aaron and a man named H-U-R, her. Moses sees the dilemma of God's people. And so Moses holds his hands up. It's like he's praying, oh, God, help us. And as long as his hands were in the air, Israel won. After a while, his hands got tired. So he, well, we're ahead so I can take a breather. But as soon as he dropped his hands, the tide turned. And the enemy got the upper hand again. So here's an old man trying to get his hands back up in the air because he sees that there's a correlation between the position of his hands and the victory of the people. And so he's got his hands back up in the air. And they tire again. But Aaron and her are sharp. They pick up what's going on. They can see what's happening. So they make Moses sit down on a rock. 
And they get his hands and they hold his hands up themselves. They're standing there holding his hands up. And the victory was given to the people of God that day all because Moses' hands were still up in the air. My point to you is your victory on the battlefield has nothing to do with your ability, your strength, or your knowledge, but rather has to do with the position of your pastor's hands. And if you'll spend your life holding up the man of God's hands, there's going to be victory in your home. There's going to be victories in your church. Oh, you know I'm telling you the truth. And when you get in the car and you start talking about the man of God on the way home, you're not holding up his hands. Somebody needs to defend your good pastor. It ought to be you. Oh, come on, clap your hands to the Lord. Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith had done me much harm. He said, said, I I got a thorn in my flesh. He said, it's a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And he said, I prayed three times for the Lord to take it away, but he's wanting me to play hurt. I I just, I can't get rid of it. And, And he talked about being beaten. And he even mentioned one place, he said, when I, when my first appearance, actually before the authorities, he said, no man stood by me. He said, but the Lord stood by me, and he, he strengthened me, and He preserved me. I'm telling you, when nobody else will stand by you, it looks like you haven't got a friend in the world. There's a God who will never leave you. Oh, He sees the pain that you're in. He sees what you're going through. Do you know why folks leave church? They leave church because they got offended at something. They don't leave because they got a hangnail on their little pinky. They don't, they don't leave church because they don't like the co- color of the wallpaper or the, the color of the carpet on the floor. They leave church because they chose to be offended. Do you know the Syrophoenician woman chose not to be offended when the Lord said, It's not meat or property to give the children's portion of the dogs? She said, Of a truth, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs. And when she chose not to be offended, that's when she got her blessing. Let me just say this. You know, after I was there in South Bend from the time my daddy went there when I was 16. So the people in South Bend knew me for quite a long time. And they knew that my mind was pretty much twisted, but they tried to love me anyway. I don't know if it was a sympathy thing or what, but I'm grateful. And I pastored some wonderful people. Do you know that uh, one night I got up in front of the church and I said, you know, I got a book in my office. I've not read it. I've scanned through it. The name of it is I'm okay, you're okay. And I think the premise basically is that there are some people who are perverted and twisted and thieves and liars and whoremongers. They want to believe that everybody else is pretty much that way. And uh, if you're twisted, you feel like other people are twisted. And there's some other people that are decent, upstanding citizens and they feel like everybody else is basically a, a decent and honest person. So when you're okay with yourself is what it's trying to say. You're going to feel like everybody else is okay. So I said, with apologies to the author tonight, I would like to talk to you on this subject. I'm not okay. You're not okay. And I said, how many of you knew I got a pain right here in my chest? I got pain right here. And they looked at me kind of funny like you're doing. And I took my tie and I threw it over my shoulder and I unbuttoned a couple buttons and I pulled my shirt back and I had the word pain written with a felt tip marker on my T-shirt. 
I got about the same response then. It hadn't improved much. And then I kicked off my shoes and I had the toes cut out of my socks. I said, how many of you knew that I had to live like this? Took off my, I opened up my coat and I had grease smeared on the sides of my shirt. So how many of you knew that my wife don't keep up my clothes any better than this? I try not to embarrass her. Turned around, I had, took off my coat, I had the back of my shirt just shredded. You can see my t-shirt like it's peeking through jails, uh, uh, in a jail cell peeking through the bars. And I said, how many of you knew that this is where I have to live? I fixed my tie, got my shirt buttoned up, put my shoes back on, buttoned my coat back up, and you couldn't see any of those flaws. I said, that's how we all come to church. You don't know what I've had to go through to get here. And I would appreciate if somebody cut me some slack. But on the other hand, when you feel that way, you need to appreciate the fact that there's other folks going through things just about like that. And they would appreciate if you cut them some slack. Your brother's not pain-free. His world is not problem-free. It wouldn't hurt us to be a little understanding of our brothers as we go through life. Can I get a witness from somebody? I got done preaching a conference man came up to my hotel room and sat down, gave me a nice, beautiful tie. I think he gave it to me just as a 